Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Let's dive right in to this series. As I mentioned before, we're in a series that we're calling Unstuck. Now, if you've been around for any amount of time, or if you're just sort of checking us out and want to know more about us, you'll notice that this series is a little different than what we usually do. We often, as a Bible teaching church, are going through a book of the Bible or diving deep into a passage. This last year, we've been through James, deep into Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We took Lent through the book of Uh, not through all of it, but focused on the Gospel of John. We went through Nehemiah. That's usually how we go. And so this may seem a little different. This series is more thematic. And we do that from time to time when there seems like there's something that's really important for us to address in the life of the community of this church. And that's what this Unstuck series is. Now, as I've mentioned before, it's really important to us to remember that we are committed not to just have this be some self-help series that we're doing. So yes, all of these topics are really important in our individual spiritual formation, absolutely. But what we want to be doing is see how we can be formed together as the church, remembering that we are in fact God's people for God's purposes right here and now wherever we are in broken and hurting places. So this isn't just an individual formation that we're committing ourselves to. It's a community formation. So remembering it's not just for our own freedom that we have been set free, according to Galatians 5.1, but also the freedom and healing will be used by God for the healing of the nations, Revelation 22.2, the healing of the nations. And that is what we get to engage with. So today, Today, we're talking about this transformation, becoming unstuck. You know, all of these we've been talking about going from this to that, being formed into something more full. Today is distorted thinking to Christ-mindedness. Now, I personally care passionately about the subject of thought life. It has been an incredibly important part of my journey, finding myself, my identity in Christ just a sense of who I even am, my truest self. But also, it's been incredibly important in how God has shaped me as part of this church community and to understand where I might fit into God's mission for this church and for this city. This has been hugely impactful in my own personal journey. I didn't know that thought life was healable. I think I maybe made up that word, but that was able to be healed. I thought it was just something you had. I personally had a really weak, probably even negative view of myself for a really long time. And my understanding was that those thoughts just were what it was. You just accepted that. They were just there. I tried to drown them out, just ignore them or to say other thoughts to combat them louder, but that never worked either. I didn't really have good footing on understanding how to engage in a healthy healing way in my thought life until I came to know Jesus. So that's the conversation that we're gonna have to reframe our understanding about thought life with New Testament truth. So we're gonna talk about it, yes, for individual growth, but as I mentioned, we're moving towards something else. We're gonna talk about how this knowledge shapes our collective growth in Christ and towards Christ-likeness, not just for ourselves, but for understanding others. So 
We're going to start out our scripture reading today is from um, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans 8, 1 through 6, and I will be reading this from the NLT version. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over, over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have ushered in um, a, a, an era, a time when the Holy Spirit is present and with us. As we gather in your name, we acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you are here and you are holy and you are in us collectively and individually. So we pray that you would ignite our hearts to how you are working. You are working in our midst. You are working in us individually and that um, we, would, we would become more and more in tune to you as, as you shape us more and more into Christ-likeness. We pray for um, just radical inbreaking, not only in this space, but in all of the spaces represented online as well, in homes, in uh, pajama pants, on couches, wherever we all may be, that we just would know that you are here, you are with us, and that you long for a fullness of healing that can come only through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. So as we start to think about this conversation, this thought life in the life of a Christian, a Christ follower, let's consider a couple of things. Number one, let's just acknowledge it. Our minds are a ceaseless active fountain or stream uh, in which our life flows. What do I mean by that? It, there's just this constant flow going on all the time in your thoughts. This is just a fact of a, a stream of consciousness that happens. Uh, we are living a ceaseless stream of thought. Now, there's, there's beauty in that, actually. Think about your mind. Your mind is an amazing, active, creative machine, in a sense, that is constantly at work. Even when you try to tune it out or to have it focus on one thing, is it not constantly just distracted by that, you know, that thing, that squirrel that runs across your path? Your mind is actively trying to sort things, reconcile things, make sense of things, um, peculiar things, but also simple things. It's just categorizing constant input, visual input, audio input all the time. It is constantly at work. There's no shame in the fact that your thought life might be out of control, right? Because it's not out of control. It's an amazing machine doing amazing work all of the time. So we have this ceaseless stream of thought going on. But consider this, every person has certain 
habits or a kind of thoughts that tend to impact the flow of those thoughts in their mind. Now, I'm not saying anything professional. We have people who study this stuff right here. I'm so embarrassed. Nicholas, don't judge me on this. I'm not a professional. Um, I'm just talking as somebody who has talked with a lot of people about what impacts their thought life and noticed this for myself. So this is not a complete list, but here are a couple of things that I notice that impact the way that the, the flow, the stream of your thoughts goes. There are a couple things I notice that really impact how that flow goes. Number one I notice is your own wiring. You're wired a certain way, how you see and process the world. Are you somebody who's prone to optimism or skepticism? Are you somebody who uh, in their Enneagram number or whatever else, you don't need to know the Enneagram, are, are you prone to shame or anger or fear? There's like a dark shadow that you're, you're quick to go to. What's yours? You know, there's just certain ways that we're, we're wired. Um, and, and a lot of us are pretty well versed in languages that understand our own self and how we see the world. So we know about this, our own wiring. And then there's also another thing that I've noticed, and I hear this in adults a lot, but there's little whispers of either lessons from our youth or names that were spoken over us in our youth that really impact us. Like for example, oh my gosh, you're so absent-minded. You're always forgetting things. And you just, you put that name on yourself as an absent-minded flighty person. Well, maybe you're distracted with something beautiful and another thing, but you start to believe yourself to be absent-minded. Oh, thank goodness, you're always the easygoing one. The other one is always making a fuss, but oh, you're so easygoing. What do you hear? Don't make a fuss. Everybody likes it when you go with the flow. Don't use your voice against that which is being said by others. Be a peacemaker, even if it means stopping your own voice. This is how we translate it. Um, you've always had your head in the clouds. Maybe you're incredibly creative and you're off in other places, but you've come to hear that creativity is a negative thing and that you should be more disciplined or something like that. Okay, what names from your youth, what lessons did you hear of what you should be as a man, as a woman, as a, a student, as a worker, whatever it is, what did you hear that you should be? Should is a major word in our thought life that should be a flag for us to hear. So that's another one, lessons we've been given. Another one that I hear a lot, that takes up a huge amount of time in our thought stream is unresolved conflict or hurt. Or anything unresolved, your brain is working all the time to reconcile information, even if it's subtle. I know where I am, the expectations of this space. If something unexpected or unreconciled happens, my brain will be disturbed and it will go to that place. I was speaking to a friend this week from my seminary and she had a conversation with somebody from her church staff. There was a topic unresolved that had been hurtful for her three years ago and she brought it up with him to resolve that conflict. He had no recollection of the comment. He clarified right away what he really meant. He didn't even remember the conversation and she was taking account of how many hours of her life she had spent on a thing because she hadn't put it to peace. How much time is being spent in the thought life of your mind on stuff that needs to be addressed that just hasn't been reconciled? That's another one I see a lot in the life of the church. And then another one I would just say is thoughts we don't even realize we're entertaining. 
Sometimes these are what we would call the lies of the enemy. Sometimes they're just other thought patterns that are so deeply ingrained in our minds that they've become normalized. And that's where there's a lot of should language. You should be this way. You should not do this. Um, for me, I know there's lots of places where I assume I'm not enough. I'm not whatever it is, fill in the blank enough. And you start to compare yourself to other people and make this um, ill-defined perfection that doesn't exist in any one person, but you start to tell yourself these messages or too much, not enough or you're too much of something. Sometimes you're told that, sometimes it's your own insecurity, but after time, that little bend in your stream of thought becomes cement, hardened cement, and you need a jackhammer to cut through that old message to get back to truth. So those are some of the things that I think shape our normal thought patterns. They're just there, no shame in this, but you need to be aware of them because we need to stop and think, is the flow of your thought life a river of living water that speaks truth and brings life to you and to others? Or is it a muddy stream that is toxic or poisoned or just causing uh, deterioration, death, as Paul would say. What is going on in that flow? Knowing your mind is constantly going, what is that stream of thought going to? See, Paul, in this book of the Rome, to the Romans, he lines things up really, um, really clear. He has, it's either this or it's this. Life-giving or leading to death. It's of the flesh, meaning not that your body, your humanness is bad, but meaning like um, formed by the world or formed by the spirit. Paul sets these things up and he says it clearly. We are not helpless to the pattern of our thought flow as long as we're aware of what's going on there. We need to not think we're helpless to whatever's happening. It's not cemented in because the Holy Spirit partners with us to bring life and peace to our minds, to our thought flow. Colossians 3, 1 to 2. I come back to this all the time when I'm struggling in my thought life. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. When you feel things straying, you have the active ability to reset your mind on a new subject. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to. It doesn't mean your circumstances will change. It's talking about changing your mind. I remember many years ago, the first time I went to go see a counselor and I went in to her office and I told her my, my situation and she said, oh, Melissa, you're angry. And I said, I'm sorry, we haven't met. I'm Melissa Pillman. No one's ever called me angry before. She's like, oh, no, you're angry. And I realized I was. I was really angry. I just didn't know that a negative emotion was an okay thing. And after a couple of sessions, she gave me this book. I wanted her to tell me that I was right, that my circumstance, the thing that was bothering me, I was justified. And instead, she handed me a book. I don't remember the content of the book, but I remember the title, Lord, Change Me. And I was so put out. Like, I want you to tell me that I'm right. Change my circumstances, God. Can that be the title of the book? But instead it was change me. I needed to work on changing my own thought patterns to know that what I was allowing to fester, to, to make my thought stream into these wild rapids, I, I was allowing this to be the pattern in my thought life and I needed God, the Holy Spirit, to change my thoughts. 
There's a couple of disclaimers in this message today, and one goes here. I am not talking about accepting circumstances when it comes to things like, like injustice. I'm not saying just deal with it. There are places that we are committed to. It's one of our values to be advocates and allies in reconciliation. Don't, I'm not saying accept anything. I'm saying when you're sitting there and your thought life is festering on that, on that thing that is, is outside of your control, then, then what you can control is your thought life. And then you can consider, I'm not, if it's, if it's, if we're talking about injustices or things like that, it's a different conversation. So in individual thought life, um, this is something that's really important. I love Dallas Willard says this, the ultimate, ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our mind to dwell upon. We do have agency over our mind and our thought life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is healing that can come and assistance with the empowerment to be aware of what's happening. So if every thought is the power to move me into the flow of life-giving water or close me out to it, what, what do we even do with that? How does that work in the life of the Christian? So what Paul is saying is thoughts that are aligned with the flesh, what the, what the, what the world would say is of value, They're anything in opposition to God, that is, that those will lead to, to death, decay, um, just not to health, but thoughts in alignment with the spirit lead to life and peace. Wouldn't it be good to have a peaceful mind? It could be as active, an active mind. It's going to happen. But what if that active mind was full of life and peace? That's the beautiful thing that we're talking about is, is unstuck from, um, from that to Christ-mindedness. Now, he's not saying that some people are good or bad because of what's going on in their thought life. He's saying that you submit it all to the kingdom way and every thought kind of has a, a spiritual charge to it, a little, a little zap to it in the spiritual realm. And it's either going to be something that is a little bit taking towards life or a little bit taking towards death. And the spirit always leads us into life. We've experienced thoughts that lead to death, that festering that negative thought, that thought you know is not bringing life and peace. Broadly as a society, we've seen that come out. And broadly as a society, we've seen those thoughts that lead to life, to justice, mercy, compassion. We've seen that in ourselves and in society at large. So unchecked, our natural tendency is towards, is towards death because the world is shaping a lot of our um, our thought patterns. Now, here's another note, my other disclaimer in this message. There are thought patterns and things that happen in the mind that do need medical help and by God's grace can get healing with help. So I am not talking about issues um, that go into the realm of needing medical assistance to help chemically with the, those, those medicines, those doctors, they are God's gift, in my opinion, to mental health. So I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about once your mind is operating correctly, what it is that leads, that leads to life. So outside of those situations, our natural tendency can be away from living water, hostile to God. Our formation apart from the Holy Spirit is not neutral. It's typically formed by this world and leads towards 
death. If the world dictates your thought life, you might find that you are striving for um, goals that are unachievable, false idols of security or beauty or relevance or whatever else in ways that are uh, defined by this world, which is to say ill-defined and never actually having an actual goal. So that's the kind of formation that we don't want. We want to be active participants with the help of God through the Holy Spirit. And the first thing we need to do in our own thought life, therefore, is to be aware even what's going on. That's why I said early on, the first thing I needed to know was that my thought life was healable. I didn't need to accept this random stream of thought that was happening to me. We have to be active and engaged, ready to take every thought and submit them time and time again to the Lord for healing. Whatever darkness creeps in, I'm not talking about shame in that. I'm talking about awareness. Is there malice that sneaks in? Anger, lust, uh, greed, whatever it is, every time, lay that down. Oh, look, what just came into my thought life, God. Can you heal it? Let me help make this clean, make this new. So we're going to transition. But before I do, I think this is really important. I want to give you just a couple of really quick things that have worked for me in the battle of individual thought life. And so one, um, Philippians 4, and, and I'll, I'll read this later. We'll end on this. But there's this great passage that says that you're gonna, you can get, God can bring you um, peace in your mind. But it says right after that, think about what is true trustworthy, noble, admirable. I think I'm out of order, but you pick these things. I had a friend who said, I wrote out the Philippians 4 list, what is true, and I wrote something that was true, and I put it next to my bed so that when my mind was just going nuts at 3 a.m. and I was festering over the anger towards a coworker, I picked it up and I put my mind on those things. Put your mind on those things. There are active tools we can do to help. Another friend of mine, I give this as um, uh, not my own advice, a, a friend of mine from years ago named Holly said, whenever her thought patterns went to those old places, she would stop in her tracks and pray for another person every single time. And when the negative thought led to prayer over another person, the spiritual attack ceased and that thought pattern literally changed. She told me that as her own testimony. I tried it, and I found it to be remarkably healing and helpful. So there's another thing that you might try. So again, I want to just emphasize, if you're having repeat patterns, oh, it's there again, that thing that I'm trying to get healed from, there's no shame. There's a lot of repetition, but God in God's graciousness does not mind that. Every single time, God's mercies are new every morning, lay those thoughts down before God and ask for new thought patterns. Okay, now, as I promised, we're, this individual part is really important. If anybody wants to talk more about that, please reach out. I care passionately. I talk with a lot of people about this. It really matters. But what we've committed ourselves to in this series is considering our transformation within community life. Now, to those of us in this space, it may seem funny or those of you sitting at home too, actually, to focus on community when our life together still looks like this. It, it looks weird and different, but we believe, we commit to the fact that we wanna be ready to be shaped into what God is still forming in us as a community, even before it's an experienced fact. Live into that 
in advance. Be prepared in advance of our time being all messy and hugging together so that we can be really intentional in the formation that is still to come. Mature community of advocates and allies and reconcilers with one another. So in this series, why does this matter? From distorted thinking to Christ-mindedness, Christ-likeness. I mean, all we need to do is look at any mess of the things that are in the news right now. We all know it all the time. To know this world needs healing. This world could thrive if everybody knew Christ-mindedness. So what does it mean for us to uh, be formed into Christ-mindedness and bringing others into freedom? So there's, I, just so you guys don't think I am just always making this stuff up, just it's Melissa's ponderings here. A couple of books, and I'll bring these from time to time so you can see and anyone who wants to like peek through them. Um, one book that I would point out, uh, this great little number by Kent Brower, Living as God's Holy People, talking about what holiness means in the life of community. Really good. Um, why this matters for us He's talking about the situation that Paul's writing about in Romans and says this, to be sure, the orientation of the individual can never be abstracted from the nexus of relationships in which that person exists. By translation, as the individual goes, so goes the community. We cannot take a lesson as individuals and separate that from how that impacts our life together as the church. This is important as community. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The words, the pronouns that Paul uses in these passages, it says things like you that we read singular. In the Greek, it was plural. Paul is writing, let you wall, y'all, if we were in the South, it would be y'all. A friend of mine from Texas sent me a translation. Look it up, you guys. It's the y'all translation. It's fantastic. It changes all the pronouns properly when it should be y'all instead of you. Let y'all be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's what Paul is talking about. And again, in this book, uh, Mr. Brower says this, Paul believes God's big purposes will be accomplished and that through the spirit, his people are part of that outworking. That's the thing that's happening. Amen. This is a community conversation, how we're being formed. So think about the things we were just considering about ourselves. And now stop as you consider how your own wiring works. And think about that frustrating person, that encounter, that, that person at work that just can get under your skin, whatever it is. Think about that person. If you can, pick an individual. Look at their face just for a minute. I know, it's so buggy. Isn't it more fun to think about how we're wired to interpret the world? That's the more fun conversation. But we're going to think about that person, that encounter, who's the person hard to love, that Jesus tells us to love. Okay, when we think about this, I want us to turn the conversation to them for a minute. I'm gonna ask you these about that individual that you're thinking of in your mind. How did their wiring impact their response? What, what's their Enneagram? Are they prone to shame or fear or anger just in their wiring? Are they an introvert? or an extrovert? Are they a slow processor or a verbal processor? Did you railroad them with your quick response when they need time? How are they wired? Look in who they are. What messages did they hear from their youth that defined them? 
good or bad? Do you know? Do you know what their parents or their siblings or their peers spoke over them as names that became part of their identity along the way? What false identities are cement in their beliefs, in their stream of self-awareness? Here's another one. What cultural differences might be impacting your experience of one another? There is so much to learn here, no matter who you are. We've been reading as a staff, um, Brandon has also been taking some of our worship leaders through this, this book, The Next Worship by Sandra Maria von Opstel. And she's talking about worship. I'll just say this, the, the, the crux of this book is about worship, but also remember worship is our entire experience together, not just the moments when we sing. So one of the things that she said that just stuck out to me that I love is that when we're gathered together with various ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds, we experience the joyous discomfort of enjoy, encountering God in new ways, and Christians must practice the discipline of acknowledging, acknowledging differences while suspending judgment. That's really, really important with people different than ourselves in any way. She's talking about um, in our life together. So one example she gave that really stuck out to me as a, um, a white, middle-aged American uh, leader in the church was the example of Asian-American Asian culture in leadership. Uh, you need a sponsor. You need someone to invite you or to call your name up. You never would raise your hand and say, I'll do it, which is so the American way, right? Roll up our sleeves and say, I'll dive right in. Here I am, how can I help? What registers is apathy to me, perhaps, because why aren't you engaging would be absolutely dishonoring from another culture. And that you can do this. There's a million of these in this book. I just grabbed one that struck me to remember, wait, I can't, I can't think that everybody's looking at things the same way as me. And I know this. But it's not just knowing it. It's getting specific. It's learning specifically. How, how does your experience impact how you engage in this moment, how, your upbringing, your family of origin, all of that. So it, when we're talking about those kind of things, we can uh, accidentally distort the lens through which we see other people because of knowing our own lens. How were they treated? How were they spoken to? What messages were they given? How were they treated in different settings in society? in academia, in the school places, in the workplace, by their neighbors, what experiences, what did society teach that person about their worth, their value, the importance of their voice, the importance of their presence? Ask them, honor their experience, don't judge it. Because from there, what we're talking about doing is going towards Christ-mindedness. Our formation is not only about knowing our own thought life, but being Christ-like in our interactions with others. So what would that mean? Knowing ourselves is really good. I was thinking about it this way. Have you guys ever worked with parchment paper, like tracing paper, you know, in an art project? You, you trace and you get to know, okay, let, let me think. Here I am, I'm getting to know Melissa, how I engage with the world, how I see the world. And you hold it up and you say, yay. Now I understand the lens through which I see the world. But what we can accidentally do is then pick up that lens and apply it to somebody else. 
and assume that Emily sees the world through the Melissa lens, and that's not the case. So what we need to do is create, think again on your parchment paper or your tracing paper, just like that, that crown of glory that God sees a person as, an image bearer, and I need to hold that up to Emily and say, I see you as God sees you. I will not impose me upon you, but I will honor and see you. So Romans 12, 2, we referred to earlier, but I'm going to fill it out a little more. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. The reason I say this is it's not just think you're better than you are, but that is what Paul is saying, but like think that my way is the way. Think that Melissa's lens, your lens is the lens. No, but if we're following what, don't think you're better than you are, but, but, um, but lay yourself down like Jesus says, right? Lay yourself down for the good of the other, John 15, 13. But it, what it, that means is like I can know myself. I can heal with the help of the Holy Spirit my thought patterns and then take all that knowledge and lay it down to raise you up, to focus on you not to have it all be about my own lens. Set me down so I can see you as God sees you and bring that out. Draw them out. Speak truth and life into their God-given identity. Identity. Show them your actions of honor. They are worthy of immeasurable value, voice, and experience that matter to God. So, what we get to is not just us doing that because we want to be really good Christians, but because we know in our journey towards Christ-likeness, isn't this how Christ engages with others? Last week, we talked about it. Time and time again, Jesus approaches somebody, and the first thing out of his mouth is a question to draw them in, to start dialogue, to engage in a relationship, a conversation, draw out other people's voices, not come at them with a speech. Let me draw your voice out. Didn't Jesus see past the leprosy to the person who so needed to be touched and healed, but touched? Jesus could have healed with a word and not a touch. Jesus reached out and gave a touch to the one who hadn't been able to be in society and touched by others. Didn't Jesus see past the inconvenience of being interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood? He was on his path somewhere else, but he stopped. He didn't worry about the interruption. He saw past that to a person who needed to stand in front of a crowd and tell her whole story, the story of what she had been through. That's the only way we know that whole story is that she sat there and told it all. And that's how we know of her struggle. And Jesus saw past the inconvenience and saw the value of her experience. Didn't Jesus see past the sin of the Jewish man who had turned to a Roman tax collector, was shunned by his community, and drew him out and towards himself because he saw the disciple who he was going to become? Jesus saw this and honored that. Didn't Jesus see past the Samaritan woman? And in that moment, he saw the Samaritan woman. He saw past the... Um, stigma 
of the, her cultural heritage. Uh, the Samaritan part was the stigma to the Jewish people. Jesus saw right past that to a woman who needed water way beyond what she could ever find in that well. And he offered it to her because he saw past the circumstances and saw her deepest thirst and met that need. That's what this Christ-likeness, this Christ-mindedness in our formation looks like that. Relationship, asking, listening, healing with truth that undid what their culture said about their value, their worth, their identity. Jesus could cut through all of that with a greater truth, with voices of honor, with speech of honor, not with force. He doesn't come out with a megaphone. He comes with compassion with a question, draws out, with healing, with truth of their identity and their forgiveness in Christ. So Christ-likeness looks like honoring the other, drawing out their story, their hurt, their incomplete identity given by society, and replace that with the identity given by God. That's Christ-likeness. And we can't speak into that situation unless we truly see and value and seek to understand the other person's perspective. So as we continue on, we're going to have a little time to respond in worship, but I want you guys to consider that this conversation is really important, not just for ourselves, although for ourselves it's hugely important, of course, but it's important because as we come back together again more and more, as we interact with the world that's processing news that, you know, with one bit of good news comes another horrible story all at the same time. And when we're sitting with people processing it, rather than just coming at them with all of our thoughts, our lens, what does it look like to draw out their experience, their fears, and speak truth and life to those places. I want us to consider that in real time. And I'm going to leave you with the actual, not my paraphrase, but the actual order of Philippians 4, which is just, I believe, one of the most helpful tools in this consideration of healed thought life. So I'm going to read this over us, and then Brandon is going to lead us in some worship, and we'll go from there. But I want you to just like quiet your hearts for a minute and be ready to hear this and think about what we actively can put back into our own thought life that would would bring this Christ-likeness forth in us as a community. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, as we continue on, the conversation about our thought life is like non-ending, I suppose, but we just trust it all to you. We lay it all before you for the healing power of the Spirit to help us to see that which could be made more and more into living waters in our thoughts and how we can take that to being a reconciling community that's honoring of, of 
of the, the mind battles of those that, that we are with. Help us to be your very presence, your words, your actions, your honor um, in the lives of others so that they may come to know a fuller version of who they are in your eyes. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.